Good Hope by Tessa North. Bill Sharpie boards the commuter train with hundreds of people like him and sits by the glass so that he can see the last flashes of green before the train goes underground. Under the strip lighting, his fellow passenger's skin looks dull and dirty. When he gets to work, he stands at his window on the 23rd floor, as he likes to every morning. He wishes that he could open the window to the air, but it's against company policy. He spends a while observing people in the buildings around as they arrive at their jobs. Tiny employees switch on lights and punch time cards and chatter by the water cooler. The man who always wears a red tie hangs his coat on the back of his door, while the woman who's sleeping with her boss wears even less skirt than the day before. <laughs> Bill knows their routines well enough that he can predict what they'll do next. Man in the brown suit, go get a cup of coffee. Secretary, flip off your bus behind his back. Sometimes Bill tries playing God, saying something out of the ordinary to see if he actually has power over them. Bold man, take off your shirt and walk out. This never works. Bill wonders what someone might say about him, a block over and a few floors up. He takes the train home in the evening with the same faces. Despite the heat in the closed carriage, a breeze trickles through the edges of the doors and plays pleasantly around his collar. Today, two tourists sit opposite him, holding their bags tightly, interested in the journey, talking loudly and looking up instead of down. Bill smiles when they glance in his direction and decides to follow them to the airport. The airport is busy, and Bill wanders through the crowds as far as security will allow. He studies a sign on the wall describing modifications to a fleet of planes, watches takeoffs, and buys a child's book about how airplanes work, which he reads over a pastry in the coffee shop. Dinner burns, because he's two hours late home, which keeps happening lately. His wife, Alice, asks where he's been with a tight, weary smile. Bill says he isn't hungry and goes down to the basement. Alice sniffs the air for perfume behind him. Bill spends all his free time in the basement. Alice used to take him cookies and see what he was working on, but now she rarely does, preferring to stay upstairs and glare at the noise he makes. He's been making things for years, although previously it has been less secretive in her opinion. One side of the spare room is still filled with balsa wood planes Bill made for their son David's amusement. David outgrew them before Bill did. Bill's latest creations hang on the basement wall in a pool of evening light. All that remains is for the feathers to be tipped with gold paint so they'll gleam. The paint waits for Saturday in a tin on the shelf. Today, 
He just wants to look for a while before returning upstairs to eat the pot roast that's sitting blackly on the stove. Alice has come to expect little reaction from Bill over his meals, so she saves her interest in cooking for lunchtime. Recently, she's been eating her lunch off her knee on the basement steps, staring at Bill's handiwork, because Bill cannot keep the basement key from her in her own home. A few months before, Bill had been sitting in his office dreamily watching the clouds move. The more he watched, the more he noticed they didn't really drift. They floated, swirled and separated, sometimes surrounding a patch of blue sky, sometimes appearing to run from it. He imagined himself up there among them, feeling his limbs lengthen and twist, his hair trail, gleefully elongating each finger to trace a wispy line across the horizon. He could feel the air streaming into him, filling his lungs, and being breathed to every inch of his body until he was made of nothing but air. He floated along like a breeze, lightly touching roofs, skimming over treetops and feeling the flutter of the leaves. The sounds of the city below merged into a sort of gleam, a, a bright hum that became part of him. The force of the whole city ran through his veins. Buildings, traffic, sidewalks, parks, trash cans, apartments, shops, offices filled with the smell of copiers and coffee, taxicabs, bars, clubs, police cars and fire trucks, sludge in the sewer, stray dogs, movie theatres and buses and newspapers and all-night parking lots and people. Afterwards, he was filled with the urgent, energetic feeling that there was something he must do. The following night, the children, David and Laurie, join them for dinner, and Alice drops her bombshell. They haven't all finished squeezing lemon juice over the fish, and David is just mentioning how bad things are at work when she says, and your father picks a time like this to make wings. There is a silence in which Laurie wonders if she's heard quite right. David stops dead and then laughs. <laughs> Wait, what kind of wings? Are we talking panty pads or something? <laughs> David, Alice speaks sternly, I mean actual goddamn feathery wings. They're not goddamn, Phil says. What are they for, Dad? Laurie asks. Bill smiles for the first time that evening. To fly, of course. David enjoys this. What are you going to do? Just fly right out of here straight to Tijuana? Of course not. I'm going to jump off the Gordon building. This stuns David into silence while Alice frowns and Laurie says thoughtfully, 
why the Gordon building? I, I, I mean, there are plenty that are taller. But the Gordon building backs onto the park, and then I can land on the grass. Don't hit any trees on the way down, says David. After dinner, Laurie carries the dishes to the kitchen so she can talk to her mother privately. What have you said to him? She asks. Why say anything? He won't listen. And he'll get tired of this soon, I'm sure. Why be serious? When is he ever serious? He's not serious about his work, about... Alice falters for a second. He just wants attention. It, it might be Laurie mentioning it to a friend or Alice remarking bitterly to an acquaintance about Bill's foolishness, but someone finds out and people arrive at the house that weekend to see the wings and the man who thinks he can fly. Bill stands uncomfortably in attendance in the basement, unhappy at the influx of people, but unwilling to leave the wings to be prodded and poked by a stream of neighbours. Jim from next door asks what mechanism Bill's using, and without meaning to, Bill explains the lightweight motor between the wings. Jim smiles. <laughs> I guess you weren't putting up shelves then. Rich from the turnstile bar examines the plans at length and finally says with odd conviction that he thinks it could work. Bill starts to feel a little better about them all being there and even offers to go and make coffee for everyone after Alice refuses to do so. The fiberglass frame is based on a skeleton of a bird Bill found in the park. The tiny bones are pinned neatly on his workbench surrounded by pages of sketches from his hours at the airport. It was at least something, Alice thought, that he was putting that engineering experience to use. Each wing feather came from other walks in the park. It had been the birds, especially the dead one, which gave him the idea in the first place. He hadn't told Alice to begin with because it hadn't occurred to him, and then he carried on not telling her because he knew she wouldn't want him to endanger himself. He didn't want to argue with her, even though he knew there was no danger. At four, Alice calls the children in exasperation. When David arrives, he pulls Bill upstairs to the den. Look that, he says through his cigarette. If you want to kill yourself, do it. Don't put all of us through this dumb stunt. What's dumb about it? You're trying to jump off a building! Who's trying? He smiled and jerked his hand in the direction of the stairs. Some people down there even think it's not funny. It's in the newspaper. David thumps the paper against his hand. Area man jumps Monday at three. People will think we're some kind of crazy family who... They won't think you're crazy. They'll think I'm crazy. Well, aren't you? No. Then why are you doing this? After a moment, Bill says, not entirely truthfully, because I think I can. 
Bill isn't really friends with his co-workers, but he knows things about them and thinks about them according to the number of their office. Bill knows the man in the office next door is ambitious because he's heard him recite his power mantra through the thin walls. He also knows that the man is having an affair because he's heard that too. But he's never heard the man's name. On Monday morning, there is no chanting or heavy breathing from next door. When Bill sneaks a look into the office, he sees his colleague by the window, gazing in the direction of the Gordon building. At 10am, Bill receives a note from his boss, addressed to the occupant of Office 23A. The note categorically forbids his leaving the office before five, jump or no jump. Further, the note adds, why the Gordon building and not this one? <laughs> By three, a clear blue sky beams over the treetops and bright, cushiony leaves of Gordon Park. The sun shines on thousands of windows, the glass sparkling and seeming to ripple in the heat. Hundreds of faces line balconies and windows. On top of the Gordon building, a mass of people blocks the path of the police, while the crush in the park below prevents firefighters from getting through. Beside local news crews, bystanders hold banners of good luck as they stare up wolfishly. David is trapped in the crowd. When a figure steps to the edge above, his heart tightens. He remembers a man a few months ago who roller skated into the river after a tiny story on the late news. The man was never mentioned again. No one notices Bill on the hubbub on the street, although he cuts an odd figure, dressed in a heavy overcoat and struggling to carry a huge bag under his arm. They are all looking up, and he hears them chant when he and the wings do not appear at three. Several hundred stairs later, on the roof of a building on the other side of the park, Bill is at last able to remove his coat, revealing the harness beneath. He unfurls the wings from the bag and attaches them, then walks to the edge and glances up at the sun. For a moment, he's transfixed, as if he's witnessing the face of God. Then he stares back at the city, imagining himself soaring across it through the heat haze. Despite the awkward wings on his back, he feels weightless. He eases himself down until he's sitting on the edge of the roof, dangling his feet over as if testing the water. He pictures David and Laurie next to him, aged 11 and 8, kicking their legs against the stone, all three of them chewing candy cigarettes, a habit of Bill's after he gave up the real thing. Are you sure you want to? A wide-eyed Laurie had said. Are you sure? And he'd said, it's for my health. He wonders if Alice is below in the throng. And right then, the easiest thing in the world seems to be, why not go take a look? 